So, it's really good to be with you guys. I have uh, missed you. I, I came up here, I don't know when it was. I saw some people, but it, it's been a while since I've been up here. So it's really, really nice to see your beautiful faces and your smiles. And uh, Mike and I are doing great and loving life. We have, uh, both our kids are married now. No grandkids yet. I've got a ways to go to catch up with you, Janetta. <laughs> a long way. Uh, so, but yes, uh, we, we love our uh, two in-laws. I mean, not in-laws, but yeah, yeah, our daughter-in-law and our son-in-law. We love them. They're awesome. And uh, everything's been great. Well, I want you to imagine that... Uh, you are an archaeologist, and it's in the 1940s, and you're with a team of other archaeologists, and you're in Egypt, and you are looking for the lost tomb of Manthu, and there's this incredible, mysterious ruby stone that you're trying to find in this tomb. And so you get to this, this area in Egypt, and you find it. And you dig your way through it, and you get into the tomb, and all of a sudden, there's this trap door that closes on you, and you are stuck. You are trapped inside, and you have an hour to find the dime, I mean the ruby, and get out. Because the oxygen is just going to all fizzle out. And so you got to look at all the hieroglyphics, I mean, anything that's on the walls, anything, to figure out how to get to the place where you can find this ruby and escape. Well, last week, with my family, my daughter graduated from the University of Florida two weeks ago, and... Uh, we went down to Orlando afterwards, and the kids wanted to do something fun. And so they decided, let's do the America's Escape Game. Do you guys know what that is? Does anybody know what that is? Oh, Vermont's not all <laughs> you have It's like the big craze, you guys. It's, all, it's in a lot of places. And basically what it is, is um, they give you, um, you have this, this team of people, and they put you in a room with your team, and you have one hour. And we were in the, the, this, this escape game that was the lost tomb of Montu. <laughs> and they said only 9% of the people have ever gotten out of this. I'm thinking, oh, great. <laughs> this is really awesome. There's eight of us. So we go into this room, and so they lock the door, and the lights are low, and we have these little uh, lanterns that we can turn on and we can use. And there's things on the walls, you know, like uh, different mis mysterious kind of things. There's, there's puzzles, there's uh, codes, there's 
um, you know, uh, different, like a word puzzle thing, you know, like, a, or, you know, um, what do you call it, crossword puzzles, and all these different things. So you have to figure things out in order to get into these boxes that have padlocks with codes on them. So you have to figure all this out and then get to the next room and then get to the next room and then get finally towards the end where you can get to the ruby. And the great thing about it is, you know, you learn teamwork. It's a great, great uh, tool to learn how to work together. And people have different talents and abilities. Well, what I learned too is I'm terrible at this game. I cannot do it. I'm not an engineer. I am not someone that is on Jeopardy or, you know, does all that trivia stuff or, you know, just, I'm an artist. I'm an artist. And so I'm working on this puzzle for, I don't know, probably was almost a whole hour. <laughs> and everybody's moving all through it. And, and my daughter says, you know, Mom, it looks like you were just trying to pretend. That you knew what you were doing. I'm like, oh, thank you. That's probably true. <laughs> oh, I'm so bad at this. But anyway, uh, we had 16 seconds left, and we got out. And it wasn't because of me. <laughs> it was because the group. They were phenomenal. Oh my goodness, some of them were really good at some of this stuff. It was a fun thing. So if it ever comes up here. That's called America's Escape Game. Do it. We're getting one up in Williston. Oh, you are. There you go. You can do it. It's, it's a lot of fun. They have all different kinds of things. Um, but anyway, you know, why don't I bring this up? <laughs> I mean, cause this is all, that's the make-believe type of game. And... It was a lot of fun and everything, but, you know, in real life, we have these defining moments. <laughs> you know, you've, you've got to get out of here. You've got, this has got to happen or whatever, and, and you got to work together and all that, or it's not going to happen. And so we have these moments that really define us, who we are. And so I titled this little chat, uh, Defining Moments. And... I want you. I want to ask you something. Have you ever struggled with feeling like you don't measure up, you don't fit in, you're tired, you're discouraged, you are feeling a little overwhelmed? You're really. You can be a little afraid of what other people think of you. You feel maybe even a little guilty or ashamed. Or, have you ever heard of um, uh, Stretch Armstrong? I know I'm dating myself. Anybody know who Stretch Armstrong is? Okay, it was a doll, I think in the 80s, maybe. And it was a doll that would stretch. You could stretch the arms, the head, the legs. You could stretch it all really far out. Well, I was trying to find one to bring up here. And I was looking online trying to find stuff like that. They don't have that stuff anymore. And now they're collector's items. They're worth hundreds of dollars. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So anyway, feeling like the stretch Armstrong, that you're being pulled in every direction that is imaginable, 
and you don't feel like you're doing anything well because you're all over the place. And I know that, you know, all of us have struggled with these kind of things at times in our lives, right? Yeah? Okay. Well, last year, I was at an all-time low. Just about this time, I was at an all-time low. And I was feeling all those things at once. It was terrible. And just like, you know, was pointed out, I've been in the full-time ministry for over 29 years. And there were times... Throughout these 29 years that I'm like, I don't think I can do this. I, I, I just think I want to quit. I don't want to do this. I, I Something ain't working here. And so I would get to this place like, okay, I'm done. And my husband would hear me out. Okay, okay, sweetie. And then I would go and I would figure it out and work out, you know, my, you know, just kind of pray through things. Okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then I get back on course. Okay? Well, here I was back at the same place, wanting to call it quits. I felt really embarrassed and ashamed. And I could see my husband was just like, here we go again. I could see it was just, you know, he was just burnt out with it. With hearing this. And I think, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a leader in the full time ministry. I'm supposed to be happy. I mean, supposed to be joyful, trusting, no worries, nothing. Well, it's just, you know, I'm not supposed to feel this way, right? It's not supposed to be the way it's supposed to be. And I think with me in the ministry, I would feel so responsible for everybody. And I would tend to take on everybody's situations, and I'd feel like get in the fix-it mode. You know, I want to fix everything. i got to fix everything. And if things didn't go well, then it was probably my fault a lot of times. And that I failed in some way. Well, I just got into a place where I'm just done with failing and the only logical thing to do is to call it quits and let somebody else do this. They can do a whole lot better job than I can. And, you know, I got to a place where I was just really, I was really afraid. I was afraid. I wasn't sure where to go. What am I going to do if I quit this? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What are other people going to think? I think fear had really taken its hold on me. I was really at a crossroads. You know, my husband loves the ministry. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to do. So I was like, i got to figure this out. I, if I don't, I'm going to go crazy if I don't figure this out. So I was at this one of these defining moments last year. I was in a pretty dark place. And I desperately wanted some guidance from God. And... I think deep down, you know, I didn't want to quit. I really, bottom line, I didn't want to quit. And, you know, most of you guys have not been in the ministry per se, but but aren't there times in your life that you just want to quit? You ever struggle with that? Just say, I'm done. Just throw it all in. Throw the bag in and call it quits. I'm done. You know, school's not going the way I want it to go. 
My job is, I don't know, it's just not going. I'm struggling with my marriage, and things aren't going well with my boyfriend. Been on another diet, just doesn't seem to be working right. I just want to quit God. I just want to quit. So I had to figure out what was at the root of this. What is what is going on with me? So I just kind of stopped. I took some time off and I just had to figure this out. I need to sift through my feelings and because there were a lot of it was just it was confusing. I just was all tangled up. So I started praying very specifically for God to help me. You know, what, where, what direction to take? Who to talk to? What books to read? I, I, I didn't know. I was just like, what? What do I need to do? So I started. I was reading this book, and it had the passage, you know, from eleven uh, Matthew eleven uh, twenty eight. No, it's Matthew eleven. Sorry. In verse twenty eight, it says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I my." For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I've read this passage many, many times. And I said, you know what, I'm going to look at the message translation. I'm curious what that says. So this is what it says. Are you tired, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I read that and I just broke down crying. I mean, just weeping. I, this is me. This is me. I had gotten to a place where I was so focused on surviving and striving to perform in a way that I that I perceived as acceptable. I was exhausted. I was exhausted. That's why I was burned out. I lost my focus on Jesus. I lost my focus on Jesus. I was more concerned with what others thought. I wanted approval. The bottom line, I was just afraid of being rejected. I didn't want to be rejected. I'm not good enough. I'm a loser. (laughs) I'm a loser. I allow people to become bigger. And God becomes smaller. I want us to look at a woman in the Bible who by our standards and the standards back in in her day was considered a leader. And that's a Samaritan woman. I love this story about the Samaritan woman. It's in John 4. And I'm going to read it. Okay. And then we'll talk about it a little bit. Says the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact 
It was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go to Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she, said. she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kinds of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in truth, and spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town to say to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. You know, this is an amazing story about this woman and her encounter with Jesus. And, you know, Jesus... It just shows his humanity. First, he's asking for her for, you know, some water. He's thirsty. It just shows he's just, you know, he's tired. 
And the other thing is, it shows an incredible amount of warmth and sympathy that he bestows on her. You know, Jesus breaks down the barriers. I call him the first woman liver. He is. He's the one who breaks down the barriers for women. And racially. He was amazing. To the Jews, a Samaritan was lower than an ant. They were half-breeds. They were a mixed breed. And Jews saw them as repulsive. They didn't have their racial purity. And they had been you know, feuding for hundreds of years. And so they would constantly look down on them. And the other thing is, Jews do not talk to women in public. You just don't do that. So here you got Jesus. He talks to this woman who is a Samaritan and a woman and has an immoral character. Jesus broke all the barriers and talked to her. He talks to her. I think that's amazing. I found this quote and I thought about this story. It says, To a Jew, this was an amazing story. Here was the Son of God, tired, weary, and thirsty. Here was the holiest of men listening with understanding to a sorry story. Here was Jesus breaking through the barriers of nationality and orthodox Jewish custom. Here's the beginning of the universality of the gospel. Here is God so loving the world, not in theory, but in action. Woo! Here you go. And he talks about wanting to give her living water. Now, to the Jew, that means just running water. But Jesus is talking about, I want to provide... Um, that thirst that we have for our souls. I want to fulfill that. I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you how. And and I think with all of us, we have this... And wherever you're at, I mean, you might be struggling with this now, but there's this... We call it a, a nameless, unsatisfied longing. This vague discontent. There's something that's lacking and you're just frustrated. And Jesus is the one who who really will satisfy that thirst that we have. And he's saying to her, I can help you. I can help you. I can give you answers. I can give you hope. And I think, you know, when he's, he confronts her with her, who she really is, you know, he says, well, you're right. You don't have, what is it, five husbands or whatever it is. And the guy you're with now is not even your husband. Boom. Right in her face. You know, she's being exposed of just how inadequate she is. And that's how, you know, when we look at the scriptures, when I first looked at it, I was like, boom. I was like, wow. I, can't, I don't measure up to this at all. And it's a very humbling place 
when you are totally exposed. And she was totally exposed. And what that exposure really helps us see that we need God. She needed God. And so with this, she's like, well, what can I do? Where can I go? I, I need to go worship and, and offer, you know, something for my sin. And I need to go to find some place. You know, she starts naming all places to go. And he says, you don't have to go anywhere. God is not confined to places or things. He's spirit. He is here everywhere. And I'm it. I'm your answer. And she even says, you know, well, when this Messiah comes, you know, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus, no, no, I'm the one. I'm the one. And what's really cool about this is in the Gospels, he, he continually says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody who I am. He doesn't want anything out in the public. This is the first time. He says, I'm him. You know, he, he says it publicly, that I am, I am him. This was a defining moment for her that changed her life. It changed her life. And, you know, when I read the, the scripture in Matthew 11, this is the skin. You know, the, the, reading this story, it puts skin on that passage of Jesus and how he relieved her of her burden and her weariness and her just being so tired. You know, and I can remember a life-changing, defining moment for me 35 years ago. I was 25 years old. I just graduated from the University of Florida. I had broken up with my boyfriend. So I was really kind of in a tailspin of depression, loneliness, disillusionment. I was just, I mean, it really it devastated me to break up with him. And I felt that um, emptiness inside, that... There's got to be something better in this life, and and I, I want to do something, and, and I something was lacking in my life, and I just I didn't know what it was, anything. And I remember meeting this woman at uh, my first job out of college, and I believe God set that up for me to get this job because I worked with these. It was at a hospital, and it was two women. They were nurses, and I was their aide uh, before. I, I graduated in public relations, so I was trying to find a public relations job. And so this is kind of my interim job until I found a real job, you know. And I, God held me there for a purpose, because when she told me where she went to church, I was like, oh, no, a rotor. I called them rotors. But God knew what he was doing. I was not necessarily open to this at all. I was searching for something, but it wasn't God. God wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> I just I just didn't know what I what what it was and, and in many ways, like I said, I was disillusioned. I didn't trust people. People had hurt me. My boyfriend really hurt me. My best friend and I, we weren't talking to each other. It's like what is this life? I mean, it was like all these discouraging things were going on. Well, this woman asked me to study the Bible. 
It's like, this is really weird. <laughs> this is really weird. And to be honest, the only reason I said yes is because my last semester in college, one of my professors had said, if you have not read the Bible, you should graduate. Because it's one of the classics. I was like, well, it just really stuck with me. Well, I did graduate without reading the Bible. <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, okay, sure, why not? I'll read the Bible with you. What have I got to lose? And it was the best decision I have ever made in my life. It changed my life. I learned so much. It was like the scales came came off and I'm like, this is the most incredible thing, this treasure. It's full of wisdom and it's full of truths and I, I, it just it's like God is talking directly to me and, and it, you know in many ways I was agnostic I didn't know if I believed in God or not but the more and more I read this I'm like this is amazing why would why would people not want to read this oh, well it exposes too <laughs> it exposed my sin it exposed you know a lot of my sin all my sin and I realized, you know, I'm not right with God. I'm lost. And I, I need, a, you know, a relationship with God. And, and so I, you know, I needed to repent of all my sins. And, and I made Jesus Lord of my life. And I was baptized April 26, 1981. And I'll never forget that day. I was scared out to death. But I knew it was right. And I look at my life and I go, I'm a blessed woman. Just like the Samaritan woman. I'm a blessed woman. And I'll have regrets. Even with the ups and downs of my life. It's a full life. It's a full life. And I think, you know, what I am continually learning. Whether it was back 35 years ago. Last year, what I was learning last year, or right now today, is that the only way to get life and value and acceptance is to get it from God alone. Not from anybody else. Not from a position. Nothing else will ever compare to him. And accept the fact that I'm a sinner and that I don't have it all on straight. And yes, I will never measure up. And I I just I I just won't. And just accept this free gift. It's a free gift that God gives every single one of us. You know, the world is constantly pulling you. I feel it every day, this constant pulling from the world pull you that way. Satan is constantly, you know, talking to you in your head and setting up obstacles in your life. And then you have the struggle against your own fleshly desires. Or just, you know, your body getting older. 
it just wants to pull you away constantly. It's this battle that we face constantly. And yet God allows us to go through all these things. And these are the defining moments that refine and define us. They refine and define us. And I'm constantly learning to embrace them and not run away from it. And they're, I, I'm, I have not reached you know, that perfection by any means. None of us have. None of us have. The storms of life are to cause us to take our walk with God deeper and deeper and deeper. So we have deep roots and we're stronger if we will allow them, allow these storms to take their effect. If not, you become stunted in your growth and your character's not built. I know this past summer I was down in Atlanta and I was talking to someone about my son. He was going through some challenges and everything. You're just going to have to let him figure it out. You know, it's hard for, to watch our kids go through struggles. But struggles equal character. And I'm like, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> I know, I know, okay, okay. And the, you know, the other thing is, I wanted the approval of people. I want the approval of people. What do people think? This fear in me. And I know it's there, but it was like right in my face. I really learned. I'm a people pleaser. And it goes back to my relationship with my dad. I wanted so much that closeness with him, and it wasn't always close. So I was always seeking that approval. And I found this proverb, Proverb 29:25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. It's like, boom. Wow. That's a constant reminder. God is bigger. People are smaller. It takes continual looking in the scriptures to see how big God is and how small people are. This is the only way to gain trust. To gain trust in him. I don't have to be afraid of what others think. Just... I just have to think of what God thinks. Remember, God's greater. God is greater. So we go back to Matthew 11, 28. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Come on. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Where are you? Where are you? Are you tired? you burned out? You're just worn out. You're tired. You've been a Christian for a while and you just seem to have lost your way, your focus. You've become embittered or discouraged or disillusioned. I don't know. Or you're someone who's searching for something or someone to fill a need. 
You want answers. You want hope. You want a purpose. You know, the Samaritan woman, she found the answers. She found the hope and she found a purpose. She was so impacted that she went back to her village. And I'm sure she was not, you know, high on the popular list. And she brought them all back to meet Jesus. She brought them all back. She was so excited. Her life was changed. And their lives were changed because of her life being changed. You know, when a heart is filled with the greatness of God, there is less room for the question, what are other people going to think of me? Jesus took away her shame. Took away all her shame. She might have said, look at what I was and look at what I am now. This is what Jesus has done for me. I can say the same. What about you? Wherever you're at, what about you? Let Jesus give you the answers, the hope and a purpose. Take hold of it. This is the most incredible opportunity in your life. Wherever you're at, grab hold of it. Learn any, anything. Talk to people just what you're feeling. Lighten your load. Get those burdens off your chest. Sit down and read the Bible some whatever it is. God is amazing. And God wants to work in ways to where you will always continually at different times in your life have these defining moments that will refine and define you. Thanks.